This week on Real Reflections we've got something extra special. I've got my friend Mark Schwetz coming on. He is an anthropological scholar and he's an RE teacher and he's a big fan of The Sopranos. A, it's a character-driven series. It's all about the characters, but also Tony's not your typical psychopath. He is so charismatic. He can be so warm and caring. Then he'll do something that's just so appalling. And yeah, he goes to therapy, and that's not something that crime bosses do. Let me tell you something. I had a semester and a half for college, so I understand Freud. I understand therapy as a concept, but in my world, it does not go down. That's right. This week we're going to be talking about Tony Soprano, the bruiser himself. Can I be happier? Yeah. Yeah. Who couldn't? nervous in that I don't want I don't want to like stop miss sentence but then I am a teacher and my entire job is to just explain things so I hopefully I'll be alright. Nowadays everybody's gotta go to shrinks and counselors and go on Sally Jesse Raphael and talk about their problems. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper? The strong silent type. That was an American. I don't want to be like putting people on pedestals, but I have to, he is, and I often reference this, as he is the most complete, well-explored character, I think, of anything I've ever seen. And I mean, that is no small feat to be able to achieve that level of groundedness. Like James Gandolfini is Tony Soprano. Yes. It's like, you. I've never known a character as well as I know him. And the kind of complex deconstruction of that character is just endlessly magnificent and, you know, worthy of so much analysis, which is why I was very keen to do this with you. Yeah, I agree. James Gandolfini, he was incredible. It was the role of his career. Like, I really think it was. I think you're right. He became Tony. And um, it yeah. was interesting. I heard an interview where he was talking about the weight, you know, becoming big and becoming Tony, like this embodied kind of performance. Fascinating character. Um, so where should we where should we begin? Just to situate it for anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm really surprised if anyone's listening to this and they haven't seen it. Um, but it's, it's about a mafia, you know, a mafia boss in uh what is it waste disposal consultancy is yes. that his official yeah yeah, yeah 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 classic industry for the mafia yes 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 <laughs> um, and he's living in like where exactly is he where exactly is he um it's new jersey just outside new jersey in a kind of r rolling little you know suburban area massive yeah. kind of almost like castle on the hill kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah that's it that's it how would you describe the world that Tony is in? It's a world that's trying to, it's that kind of romanticising of the past. It's a past that never really existed. It's a world where we can all have, like, embrace our Italian-American roots, but what are those roots? There's the episode where they go to Sicily, and you can tell they've never been to Sicily. You know, Paulie's there trying all the food, keeps nudging Tony on the elbow, going, like, try this food, and Tony's like, I'm in a fucking meeting, what are you doing? They have this romanticised view of the past, they use certain terms, none of them speak Italian fluently, though I think it's really interesting. They use this terminology, but none of them actually speak Italian. They are so far removed from their actual uh, ancestry. However much, you know, anyone is that connected, I think it's really interesting, but as, yeah, 
It is a world that is completely, you could argue, outdated, but it is, you know, it's family-based, what the family is, but it's all honour as well. It's honour societies, yeah. Absolutely, and the thing about it being um, maybe some sort of weird nostalgic, displaced nostalgia, because it's nostalgic yeah. about a place they've never, they've never grown up. Yeah. Well, I guess gender comes into that, doesn't it? And the gender stuff about men being men and women yeah. being women, and this is the way it is, and this is the hierarchy, and this is the order. Yeah, definitely. And you yeah. see, like, you know, I, I, it's something also I do love about the Sopranos as well. It, you know, it's completely character driven. And whilst, you know, men are always associated with being the, you know, the macho alpha male, the patriarch, actually, there are some incredibly strong female characters in it. Like, Carmela is a, just a magnificent creation. And she does all she can to fight against the guilt that she feels that have, having married into this and gave away all the autonomy and freedom she has. But yeah, it is. It's that men are on top, but women do everything they can. And I mean, you know, that's that could be saying the same could be said for a lot of societies. I think sometimes like um, they, they have to take the crumbs, you know, particularly in really patriarchal systems. It's like women are left to, to take the crumbs and there's some sort of acceptance about the fact that they will never have true power in a systemic sense. And something about um, something about that character. It's interesting you've mentioned her. I think the manipulative stuff comes up for that reason. And I think she's become accustomed to a certain lifestyle. They end up kind of, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Until suddenly yeah. she does want to know. And she's like, well, someone else has told me that. Is it Adriana? Yeah. Poor old Adriana. Yeah. 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 You know, it's kind of, you could say it's kind of almost like uh, financial kind of exploitation financial ab abuse when it comes to like you know i keep you controlled with my money like i you know you you bought into it as you've actually said you know you you had a choice whether you know the debate about whether there is so much choice in that in a world but yeah you know carmela wasn't forced to marry tony and she for years like turned the other way and just like looked away you're absolutely right so in that respect why why you now have an issue 20 years later your moral compass suddenly kicks in it's not, you're right, it's not black and white. It's not like Carmela's fighting the system and always has done. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the, the thing about it being nostalgic and the thing about it being um, that kind of, it's never really existed, but we want it because it, it feels cosy and it feels safe. There's then the flip side to that about like how it's, how it's destroying them, like how the patriarchal system, how the system of violence, how the, the threat and the amount of fear in these men's lives and how they've had to suppress it and how they end up having panic attacks because they're not allowed to talk to yes. each other about anything. Yes, yeah. It's the flip side, um, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, fear is what dominates every single one of their lives. And, you know, the thing I said about honour society, cultures of honour, where, like, a lot of psychological researchers looked at how like fear is the main thing that drives societies of honor honor is about respect etc but also it's societies where you have to use fear to or create fear in others in order to sustain your power and because you could lose everything so quickly that's you know that's generational that's literally part of people's dna and yeah you know he was terrified of his father he, you know through a lot of analysis of dreams through analysis of his memories as a child that he has you know, you realise, you know, whilst he has all that duty and responsibility to kind of continue the family, 
actually what it comes to down to is he has an awful relationship with his mum, the most angst-driven relationship imaginable, which is just amazingly crafted. It's just one of the greatest relationships in any TV series. But yeah, he was terrified of his father. And that was, you know, that's led to so much of his issues is he wants to take over he, he uses aggression and violence in order to suppress that fear i need to be as aggressive as possible so everyone else can fear me instead well let's let's talk about what takes him into therapy let me tell you something i had a semester and a half of college so i understand freud i understand therapy as a concept but in my world it does not go down can i be happier yeah yeah, who couldn't? Well, there are a range of things. From episode one, The Sopranos is different from any other series or any other film that deals with the Mafia is that it doesn't go for big structures. It's going for like looking at individual characters. And yeah, he goes to therapy and that's not something that crime bosses do. They don't do it in any kind of uh, open way. So already he's he's able to recognise something there, which you then find out his father had exactly the same panic attacks. Junior then has exactly the same panic attacks. So without wanting to give away things, anyone who's listening to this hopefully would have watched some of it. Um, so you can see that he is aware of things that have generational trauma, generational issues when it comes to mental health. Well, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because when he first goes into therapy, it's that classic thing and it's... It, you know what struck me? I recommended Ethos to you recently. Yes. And it, the Very setup, similar. The, yeah. yeah, the setup of that woman therapist, going to therapy. Talking to therapists, yeah. But also the reason and the denial, right? So there's a fixation on the physical. So the lady in Ethos goes into therapy because she's fainting. Tony goes in because he's had a yeah. panic attack, right? And his physician yeah. has said to him, the bloods have come back negative, I'm gonna send you here. And he's sitting there at first and he's quite frustrated by the whole thing. He's like, is it physical or isn't it? Because if it isn't, I'm certainly not here to shoot the shit with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of his Absolutely. starting position, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's good. the whole thing that I kind of profess a lot about the how mental health and physical health are not two separate things they are you know one directly informs the other they are the same thing and it's a good point you make about you know he very much wants a give me something and it'll be done and he it's a recurring thing where he will you know at times when he's annoyed where he'll be like i've been in fucking therapy for like three years what have you done you've never made it better it's like he wants that quick fix solution um and he wants it to be a physical thing that can be solved and that's yeah it's just not what it is with tony yeah but how familiar is that how familiar is the idea of like why can't it just be like a broken leg he's frustrated and he's irritable and then <laughs> quite early on we start to see all tony's like typical textbook defenses come through so he almost immediately tries to sexualize his therapist almost immediately yeah <laughs> absolutely and he yeah and and she she's fantastic in her way that she doesn't kind of go for it because you know in and it, without trying to make it at, like i'm not trying to say it's stereotypical in that respect but like it's not that she is not in some way f finding him alluring in certain ways but it's also these two and we'll discuss it later about representations of italian american men 
and the kind of her Italian-American background, but also the fact that she doesn't want to buy into the idea that like mafia bosses or bit, like macho, mask, like toxic masculinity is somehow attractive. So, but then, yeah, she she's very good at keeping that away and she's fantastic. But yeah, he does. He, he falls in love with her yes. as, as much as Tony falls in love with anyone because yeah. he's got at least two people at a time um but yeah then that goes into attitudes towards like relationship with his mum which we'll also talk about later yes yeah and I wondered about um like that thing of deleting you know deleting the feminine because the feminine stuff is associated with the tenderness and with the nurture stuff because there's something maybe that made him feel weak about that but actually I think what what is it that transpires his dad was just more interested in his sister and it just kind of didn't, and, and he, what he saw, the violence that his dad kind of yeah. reacted upon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he saw his dad killing someone. In terms of the fem- feminine part, I think, without wanting to generalise, I think there is, you know, in many kind of macho environments, societies where, like, machismo is the most important thing. Yes, like, femininity is a sign of weakness. You know, you, you aren't, like, in control. There's a lot of things that probably are still down to interpretation like all his dreams which probably tell a lot more yeah do you remember any of the the dream stuff because I was trying to think and I I can only remember his sexualized dream stuff about Dr Melfi about the the therapist I can't remember any of the other stuff are there any that Um, jump out at you and what I love about the whole dream sequences in a soprano is it's so integrated it's never like this is a dream I'm gonna go to sleep and dream it it's like you you actually don't know at points whether it's a dream or reality. And he's wandering along a sea, the seafront, and he's talking to Pussy, and then he's talking to Paulie. And I th- there's a, like a singing fish. And right at the end, and it, this comes back because at the end of another episode, someone buys him a singing fish. It's like these kind of plaques you can put on a wall with a singing fish. And like he gets so leery because like that basically reminds him of the dream he had just before he had to kill Pussy. So again, it's trauma. It just brings back all the trauma. So yeah, singing fish is a no-no for Tony. Yeah, it's a trigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's, it's brilliantly done. Um, why do you, this is something I was thinking about as we were preparing to, to chat about this. Why do you think we are so compelled I'm not even going into the psychopath bit yet, but we'll get to that. Our obsession with watching psychopath, well, people who we, you know, maybe on that psychopathy kind of scale, we we seem to love that. But why do you think we're so, I think there is something about the nostalgia versus the brutality, going back into the nostalgia, back into the brutality. There's something about all that that I just think we can't get enough of. What do you yeah. think? Why do we love it so um, um, I mean, it's interesting because I will say when I kind of preface loving The Sopranos is that I don't actually particularly enjoy mafia films. It's never something I've loved. It's a genre I think it's overdone. It's quite cliched at points. It's very uber macho, but it doesn't have the complexity there. And I think in that respect, I you know, I, I'm interested in the whole psychopathy thing, but I don't think that's the avenue that I'd normally explore it in. But I think you've what you said also is the main thing. A, it's a character-driven series. It's all about the characters. But also, Tony's not your typical psychopath. He is so charismatic. He's so He can be so warm and caring. His friendship with Artie, the fact he'd do anything for him. And it's so, like you know, he... I'm not saying, oh, you know, yeah, 
Hitler was a vegetarian, whatever. You know, I'm not trying to say that like that that is enough to kind of downplay the myriad of people he's killed. But I think it's so you are you're made to feel so warm towards him, and then he'll do something that's just so appalling. And then it reminds you, it make it plays on your emotional connection to the character. And it's brilliant. You never know how to feel towards Tony. And that's, I think, the real compelling part of why it continues to be so interesting. Yeah. I agree. He's he's so endearing. And I actually wouldn't put him as, you know, a psychopath. I would put him, like, I don't know where I would put him or what, whether we even need a scale or whether pathologizing people is even needed. He's for sure got the capacity to be really dangerous. That's that's what I'll say about him. He's got the capacity yeah. to be super dangerous. But he also, uh, he does love. And he's, um, there's something about his relationship with the women that feels like a substitute for what he's really looking for. Um, yeah. yeah, he is endearing. The bits that I love, and I, I feel like I identify with him at certain points, where he's sitting like slobbing around his house in his fluffy dressing gown and he's eating cereal like angrily because he's in a huff yeah. with something, you know? And he's like yeah. stalking around the house like a teenager. All that stuff. He's so endearing. He's like yeah. a bear with a sore paw. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, with his rigatoni, that's always what he's. Um, well, there's rigatoni in the fridge. Um, it's no, I agree. There's there's something like with all great actors and all characters, the way that he articulates his venomous like annoyances at people is just like sublime. The way he's so like that's part of him being such a great actor, but like it just he owns it so many times when you're just like. That was absolutely the best way you could have articulated that. He has such a presence and like, you, yeah. And I don't know, I think, I, again, I feel bad about that because that, that's almost part of the whole macho, patriarchal, alpha male thing that's like, he owned it and like, that's my, checking my bias there. Am I liking that more because it's like the man rules the roost and not just because I like him as a character. Maybe they're inseparable, but it's still fucking satisfying to watch. <laughs> He's really satisfying to watch. Do you think it's um? Do you think it is a bit cathartic for us to watch these very kind of domineering but also kind of vulnerable characters? Yeah, mm. yeah, no, definitely. And because I think it's you know, you can watch them like people watch anything. Was like people that are so different from you. I think we're always fascinated by people that are very different from us. But then I don't know. I don't think. Yeah, he's not so different in his charismatic qualities. I think, yeah, it may, you know, it, it's that whole, as you say, oh, at least we, at least we're not like that <laughs> kind of thing. But also, yeah, uh, it's all a bit of like we love Tony as well. But it, should we be saying we love Tony? I don't know when you know what Tony's done. <laughs> we heart Tony. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we yeah. do. We do with all his complications and all his. I mean, you wouldn't trust Tony. I'm guessing if you were friends with Tony and you knew about yeah. his extracurricular activities, you would not trust him. But you could enjoy him. I think at a social event, you could yeah. be enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And that also the thing you were saying about difference. And wanting to like be taken into a world. There was something about that with the wire. There's something about that with Sopranos. You were taken into a culture. Yeah. You were taken into, and I guess we're coming round to the Italian American stuff, which is fascinating with it within this piece. 
when there's so much stigma that's attached to Italian-American identity that people presume because I'm an Italian-American, therefore I'm a gangster. They presume all these things. It's almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. It validates what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, the whole Dr. Melfi angle really is, you know, amongst many other things, she's a great character. It shows that contrast and it shows the interplay and conflict in amongst Italian-Americans about what being an Italian-American is, because she is a very well-educated, very different area of Italian-American society. Um, and a lot of her friends almost kind of He's like a museum piece. He's someone that they can gawp at and like kind of, you know, grimly fascinating, like an anthropological artifact, yeah. See what they didn't know was once they got Gary Cooper in touch with his feelings, that they wouldn't be able to shut him up. And then it's dysfunction this and dysfunction that and dysfunction my fungal. so true and they do like when they're at dinner I can remember a lot of like yeah. dinner scenes and they're like you know tell us tell us more and they're they're really sort of morbidly fascinated with yeah. him and they fetishize him yeah I think I definitely and you know they don't like that in some way it's a class thing definitely that like you know they are Italian Americans like who are the mafia that's lower social class it gives us a bad name but also it's a romanticized thing as well like you know Gamora the Sicilian mafia is like you know that's that's part of history however fragmented and small it might be that's still their a part of their history and it's something they romanticize as well as are uh, repellent of and I think it's so yeah it's so complex but it's you know and I think part of the way that the kind of mafia also the characters in the series respond is partly a response to that it's like you expect us to be like this and this is what you know we're always treated like this therefore it's just to kind of continues here perpetuates it yeah yeah and there's something about like where's the power and like in terms of the relationship he has with dr Murphy and, and her her crowd and you see where power is in their world or where they think it is and you also see how that can just be cut through with this much more brutal power but also you know the power to be looked after as well it's so interesting she i mean one of the one of the many unprofessional things that she does and unrealistic things that she does with him is that she answers the phone when he's in a session and there's something wrong with her car i think and he yep. just has it fixed just has it seen to he's going through these official appropriate channels and he just sorts it exactly exactly and then on a you know an even more serious thing that really kind of problematizes it um, the whole kind of dynamic is when she's uh, Dr. Murphy's raped and she, it's, a, it's an awful, awful, one of those harrowing scenes in that entire series um, and that whole like, there's an entire episode where she you can see her ruminating it's like, she could ask Tony to have this guy whacked and that would be done, he would do it, you know he's kind of in love with her and he'd be absolutely furious, he'd go and kill her and She's so unarring about it. At the end of the one episode, she's like, no, she doesn't want to subsume herself in her life. I need the macho Italian-American mafia guy to come and, like, save me. Like, in, you know, who knows? You know, that's something like many people in that kind of rough sense of justice that people like to 
feel when they're watching something. You kind of want her to hard tell Dania, but then you also, I completely understand why she doesn't, because it's like, um, yeah, I'm not going to have the easy way out and let him, like, that's not making me feel better. That's making him feel better. Yeah. And and completely delegitimizes her entire role in Tony's life, right? She's like, she's not standing on the sideline offering him a life raft anymore. She's jumped in the sea with him yeah. and she's going to drown in exactly what he's drowning in. Um, so what what good what good is she at that point? Um, but yeah, I do think that vigilante justice thing, I think it's another catharsis thing. I think we love to watch. I mean, not necessarily you and I. I mean, maybe you and I. We we both love not the so, not so much, yeah. but not so <laughs> much. But that, yeah, that kind of vigilante rough justice stuff. Um, and again, harking back to a yesteryear. No, no, I agree. And that's kind of back to the whole thing with like cultures of honour, where like an aspect of cultures of honour, and the reason that like, you know, violence is so legitimised and socially acceptable is in part because there's not authority figures like the police. I'm not going to go into the massive issues with claiming the police are here for our interest. But, you know, if police are there and you have a problem, something happens, you go to the police. In societies and cultures where that's not a relationship with police, you know, you can say look for the same for gang culture, a lot of things, violence is solved between people. Therefore, you know, if that would have been exactly the way you might have dealt with it a hundred years ago in certain places, you go to the uh, you know, the, the crime boss, he would have sorted it out. So in that respect, yeah, it is, so you know, right. again, this yeah, does that romanticized past ever exist in that respect? I can't say, but it's certainly, you know, it would have been one avenue in a past for yeah certain groups of people i'm not saying it's necessarily right but like that i can understand the kind of thought patterns there um but yeah you know there's still you know you look at the way like african americans are treated by the police how like poor ethnic minority like people are treated by police it definitely doesn't instill a trust in police to sort out your problems like and that's where gangs and you know Absolutely. And you're right, because it's not just, yeah, because it started from something, didn't it? So the idea of a community such as the Italian American kind of mafioso community, mm -hmm. such as any other kind of subcultural community, marginalized community, you know, the marginalization stuff happened, didn't it? And then the self-protection and the urge to wrap a system around themselves within the larger dangerous system became, uh, you know, something that was essential. For their thriving yeah. and you know thrive and survive. I also want to ask you about um, the relationship with his mom because you've mentioned it a few times about how well written it is and how well formed and how well scripted. And it is like it's painful to watch those interactions. And I yeah. think it's so bad for Tony. Like we see him as victim yeah. as opposed yeah. to uh, dominating. Yeah. But in terms of you know when the, the soprano starts, you see you know his uh, his mother is getting old. He, it becomes apparent quite quickly that she's going to um, have to go into a home and she hates that and she uses yeah. it against him all the time. You know, what son would ever do this to his mother? You hate me, only a mother, who, like child who hates her mum would do this to me. It's interesting, I uh, know my grand felt very much the same when she was had to go into a girl home. Like, it's a very familiar feeling. But he does care and love his mum. Janice is nowhere to be seen. Barbara is nowhere to be seen. He is the son that cares and does, you know, the whole... Uh, you have to care for your mother kind of thing is a very, again, quite traditional thing that uh, 
Yes. In Italian, American and many other like cultures. But, you know, he does have a heart there and he does it despite the fact that he has an, a, like such a taut and complex relationship. He does do it and you do empathise with him there. Um, yeah. Which yeah, you, you which, yeah. You do. And it's really... Um, because I can remember some of the flashback stuff he has in relation to his mum and his dad, because actually the blackout stuff or the panic attack stuff, yeah. it evolves into a kind of, it, actually like a, a, a traumatic kind of, it's, it's a flashback situation, isn't it? And he's, he's gradually piecing together these tiny images, tiny fragments. Yeah. And it's, it's about fear and it's about what his mum is it about her looking the other way there's something where he remembers yeah. butter, butter or meat or something being cut um oh god i remember it's like you know the, the way that she was with us uh with her with dad he like he treated dad very similarly the way that he treated so i i god i can't remember that now he's definitely yeah. like you know they she was, she's always been like that with him. And I think he never had a warm relationship with his mom ever. It was always quite fractious. Um, I can't remember anything about that though. That's, there's, yeah. There's something about food. There's something very wrapped up in food for Tony. Cause like on a surface level, there's something about, um, there's something about him wanting to be nurtured and the tenderness stuff and the stuff that he's not getting, but he gives it to himself via food. He loves the, 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 you know, being nurtured through food and it calms yeah. him. But also on a deeper level, I think there's something about, and I could be totally wrong. I think there's something in that, those flashbacks about it may be connected to when he saw his dad do what, what he did to that, to that man. There's something about a knife. There's something about cutting, and I don't know I, if it's about cutting. I, yeah, no, I see what you mean, and then yeah, that that being some kind of symbolic representation of it. Yeah, that's a, oh god, you know, I have forgotten, but I, you're you're right. That does ring a bell now. And there's um, something about the symbolic representation of seeing his mom do what she always does with the knife and the butter or whatever she's doing, because it's not only the reminder yeah. of the knife and the violence; it's also this the um they're looking the other way so there's something yeah. about what do we do when dad does this will we just carry on you know chopping the butter or chopping the meat or whatever yeah. and we're just going to have dinner yeah, yeah, yeah. like we always have so there's something yeah. about the suppression of that coming through in the food yeah. as well I think yeah we're, that's a level of analysis I've not ever like I had not occurred to me or if it was said I haven't like uh it, seen it explored before that's really interesting though um and you know his mum does ignore it in the same way that Carmela ignores it or chooses to look the other way and that's Absolutely. you know he probably does hate her for that it, it, for a long time and then he becomes it so yeah that's absolutely uh, it yeah he hates it but he becomes yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly um, and and it's it, you know, it's like, like he's begging for somebody. It's almost like he's begging for somebody to to get underneath it all. Almost like saying, yeah. you know, catch me out, stop me, take me away from this. But I mean, it's so um, split in him, isn't it? Because let's remember, he goes back to therapy. He never bloody misses a therapy session. <laughs> he, yeah. He yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> he still, yeah, he still goes, um, and then he's. But then uh, there are points that he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. 
one point he yes. even brings Carmella and that just becomes very complicated as well. Um, but yeah, because Carmella doesn't know that he's got a therapist and certainly not all female therapists because again, that whole like, you know, it's yeah. a woman, you know, yeah. you're opening up to a woman, a woman knows about me or a woman knows about you. Again, there's all kinds of other things about, you know, the gender representation there. But, um, yeah, I think it is really interesting. He does go to a woman. Mm-hmm. He even accepts them to a woman, says a lot about the fact that he needs a woman or, you know, ends up seeing Dr. Murphy in the same way he sees his mum. You know, all the, she says that all the women he chooses are always somehow related to his, like, like how his mum is. I mean, that's very Freudian. I don't know whether I completely mm-hmm. agree people always go for like partners that are like their parents I don't know but like it's certainly what Melfi thinks and you can see the kind of characters that he or women he does go for they are quite similar they're very feisty they're very strong-minded um yeah so well it's so interesting isn't it because it's like I think something up there's something in I do think there's something in that Freudian stuff, but I think it depends on what the purpose of that other person's going to serve in your life. So when he's going for the um when he's going for the women who are, it's all about the the sexual gratification. He's going for women who are out there in the world, um, sometimes uh, fiery, sometimes um, there's a level of instability and chaos, but there's always this glitziness to the women that he picks in terms of the yeah. sex women. And um, that's very much not like his mom, I would say. But in terms of who does he feel safe with? Oh, well, he's picked another woman who's happy to look the other way, like his mom. Yeah. I think it's the depth of what you're looking for sometimes yeah, yeah. with, you know, what how much of an imprint of the parent it is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point. And what is actually what he actually requires and what he wants. Yeah. In terms of like, yeah, they're not uh, wanting to uh, ask questions about what he does. He, they, they are all very consistent there. Um, and yeah, it is. I'm trying to think of an exception. There is one woman. She's the woman with one leg that, like, he has, like, the carer for his mum, who he ends up. And I think that's that was different. It's she was much. She was much more kind of nurturing and caring of him than any of the other women mm-hmm. you see there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she's kind of an exception. But then you know, caring and nurturing in a way that his mum wasn't. So maybe that was looking for something that he did, had never got before. Because Carmela is not nurturing and caring. How no. strong no, she, she, she doesn't nurture yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, maybe no. in moments, maybe in moments with the food. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 In their own way, they do, yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, the, yeah. the other thing I wanted to chat about is, um, you know, why why is The Sopranos still just as, like, interesting and relevant to us now? Like, we've mentioned... Um, themes like nostalgia and that immediately makes me think of you know some of the some of the brexit stuff and you know we've touched on maybe some big ideas about why this is so relevant and so interesting like still now um and it hasn't really aged i mean in preparation to this conversation i have watched a little bit i mean it's a really long series so i haven't like rewatched it all but it does still feel so relevant and so interesting yeah, um, it's a good question. So kind of a, a number of points. I think, you know, A, we've touched on already that like there's so, so few series that have kind of explored this topic. It's kind of unique in that respect. Um, it doesn't feel old. 
So I don't think it's dated anyway. Like it is, you know, it feels just as relevant now. Um, it's so incredibly written. It's so immersive. Like even from, I remember when I watched it again, like even from like the first few episodes, it's just supreme. It does not one of these things that takes a while to get good. It's like, it's absolutely incredible from like the first episode. And I think it is, you know, if you if people give it, they, you know, this whole new generations are actually engaging with it now. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it covers a lot of about, you know, certain groups of people in America and people are fascinated by the mafia. People are still fascinated by America. It, yeah, it covers a lot of bases. Yeah, um, it really does. Yeah. It really does. And you can see some stuff in other series that must have taken something from 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 Tony's um, arc. And also I thought the use of animals was really interesting. And I've seen that pop up with other are they psychopathic? Are they not psychopathic characters and how they relate to animals? And we haven't talked about the ducks. I really just wanted to mention the ducks because oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. the reason Tony has his first, well, the surface level that he can identify for having his first panic attack is he says, well, it's when the ducks left. And it's this little family of ducks that are in his pool and in his garden. And then they leave. And that's when he has the first panic attack and keels yeah. over. And um, there's something about the way he related to the to, to animals. There's something about the, the identification that he had. Something about this. I don't know what the ducks thing was. Was it yeah. the safety? I... Was it? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Like it's, it's you know, it's it's symbolic of his family and the fear that his family are going to leave or his family are going to die or like the fact that he doesn't, you know, he, he there's always the risk that he's going to get arrested or killed. Therefore, like that kind of you know, set of you say safety and security there. Um, and he, you know, yeah, he. It's surprising on the surface level he cares more about ducks and he cares about his own family. But like, yeah, yes. the ducks are different. There. Um, and I mean, there's the, the other animal that I'm also remember is like the horse, because he buys a horse um, and then something, I can't remember what it was, like it's a fire or something. And he has, he, it's such a traumatic scene because he basically has to just kill this horse. And just the last scene in the episode is him just kind of lying there, kind of hugging this dead horse. Oh, God, and like, I it's really, wow. yeah, and it's really powerful. Like, I mean, it's it like, somewhat like he then get like, I don't know if you remember, but he, there's a painting that he has of like Napoleon with a horse. Um, and then like he's chucking things out, and then poorly, like, look, finds his painting, doesn't want to chuck it away. So, like, <laughs> takes it and then gets Napoleon's face turned into Tony and then puts it on his wall. And then like about oh. a series later, Tony comes round and like is like, what the fuck is that, mate? Like, yeah. that's my horse that I had to kill. <laughs> You've now taken this great painting, changed it to my face and put it on your wall. Like, where do you even start with that? He just grabs it off the wall. Like, I just love that so much. It's just the most bizarre series of circumstances. But yes, um, he does have a deep connection to like that horse. And he does without you. Right. It's a good point about animals. It probably doesn't get explored enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's usually it's that thing, isn't it? It's that really base level thing that people say when they're assessing, you know, who's a psychopath and who isn't, you know, the relationship with animals. 
and um yes it yes it yeah, doesn't yeah, really yeah. hold up with tony does it but also the fact that like um I was wondering about the ducks as well, because I was wondering about his obsession with family. So we've got the Italian-American, not just specific to Italian-American families, but we've got something cultural there about the obsession with the family, the strength of the family. And um, we've got this little family of ducks. So he can see this family of ducks and he's like rooting for this family of ducks. But then there, I was also thinking about imprinting, about birds and about you know, the, the stuff with, it wasn't actually ducks, was it? The imprinting block. It was with uh, geese, wasn't it? So that the origins before attachment theory, we yeah. had imprinting theory and we had the idea that, um, you know, like, like many animals, there's just a copying, there's an imprinting, there's a copying of what mum or dad, duck or goose right. or whatever, whatever they're doing, we're doing it. So we're just following. And um, it's, it's a kind of, leading it leads us into um a lot of the stuff that was later discovered about about attachment and it's a kind of it's not the same it's you know attachment's much more complicated isn't it than the imprinting stuff and that was the argument i think of no no we're more complicated than this human beings you know it's not imprinting it's something else and i just thought yeah. that was interesting because i think attachment is it's such a theme, like you've said as well, trauma, trauma and attachment is such a theme in terms of the arc of Tony. And we meet him yeah. right at the beginning where he doesn't have much of an understanding of himself. And we've got these little imprinting animals that he's obsessed with and kind of yeah. you know, really focused yeah. No, it's a really good point. And as you said about him kind of discovering himself more, you know, there's... Yeah, even though he claims, oh, you never fucking like helped me in any way, and I've been here for like three years. Actually, they do discover. He discovers a lot, and he discovers a lot about you know how he is a product of his parents and his children are a product of him. And you know, his like Junior starts having panic attacks for probably be precisely the same reasons that Tony did because he starts to know exactly what Tony's doing yes. in his job. So it's like it is you know these are generational things, these are trauma things that just get passed on. Uh, yes yeah. and you mentioned intergenerational trauma as well and you you mentioned yes. really briefly earlier and I wondered if we could just touch on that a bit more because um do you do you buy into I mean I really quite I'm quite taken with all this stuff about you yeah. know in terms of the encoding in the DNA and yeah. uh intergenerational trauma in that sense I don't think yeah. we're I, well I mean I have to say I don't know a lot about it I mean you know if you look at things like uh, certain theories about like phobias for instance that these are like evolutionary things that you know are passed down through genes i don't think it's in any way surprising to think that there could be like emotional experiences that could be encoded as well i think that's very yes. much so you know in the same way that you have like collective trauma so look at what happened yesterday or two days ago with the uh another person shot dead in like minneapolis like yes. people feel it together it's something that it doesn't need to have happened to you in order for the people to feel that i think you know we are incredibly impressionable people like you know creatures but also i think family wise that yeah the genetics there if there's fear there that is in your like you've experienced at such a deep level i it doesn't surprise me that that can be passed down but i'm, I'm speaking from someone who's not a geneticist or a evolutionary psychologist but yeah. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I'm just really interested in, um, you know, the 
the idea of it in relation to cultures where violence is is so yes. you know, brutality is so normalized yeah. and thinking about how that gets encoded the fear yeah, yeah. the cortisol stuff and we, we we are learning a bit more now as a society about in utero stuff and um, women who yeah. are and they're stressed out and how is that kind of um, transmitting through to the next generation yeah. in terms of the, the the hormones that are released. But also there's this um, emerging idea. Well, it's not an emerging idea, but it's something that I am becoming now more aware of, of epigenetics and yes. the idea yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. not predetermined but you know, it's it's like you know the keys on the piano are there, and yeah, those yeah, yeah. keys are predetermined. But the tune that gets played on that piano all the time—that's you know that's the Absolutely. environment. That's what's shaping yeah. the yeah, encoding of, and the expression of genes, which I find fascinating. Yeah, yeah they can be switched on and off. Like yes. and actually, like you know, different points in people's lives, there are different. You know, it's. I think, yeah, it's something we are, as you say, it was emerging a few years ago. Now it's, you know, I think it's more, like, even more established, but I think it's definitely the next stage of the whole nature-nurture debate will be around it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's um, it's fascinating when we think about these these men in Tony's life, because all of them have been raised in that in that subculture, are any of them different? Like I was trying to think the other day, like do, does he have contact, close contact with men who are not reliving this narrative? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, so yeah, people outside of that. No, it's a, uh, the, the FBI agent that is, he ends up being quite friendly with. No, but I mean, that's tokenistic. No, I don't think he mm-hmm. is outside of this realm at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. So he is completely immersed in it. Yes. And the idea of like how to be a man, you know, there are no alternative scripts for him to read and yeah, try yeah. out. Like where yeah. is that going to come from? Yeah, exactly. Where are the role models that ch- change that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's just cyclical. It just carries on, um, yeah. you know. And yeah, exactly. He is in turn the role model for everyone else, you know. And it's, yeah, is Tony the role model you want? <laughs> Probably mm. not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was there anything uh, yeah. else you wanted to touch on with the masculinity and alpha male stuff? Or was there anything we, you wanted to dive into that we haven't? Yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, it was more. You know, it, like just the thing about you know fe- feeling the, the the complex feelings about liking a character like Tony and the fact that he is so much the patriarch and he's so much like um, someone that you. Uh, you know the macho typical alpha male but you people do have an affinity for it and people you know you're kind of almost made to feel bad like about it but then you know terms like patriarch I mean sorry to bring recent like things in but like this whole idea of um a patriarchal society is meant to be challenged you know we Mm -hmm. we live in a patriarchal society and it's not a good thing that you know so say progressive people so say most people who would think that ultimately there needs to be more equality but then you get prince philip dying and you all over the media oh he was the patriarch of the family How, hold on wait a minute we're meant to be challenging patriarchy but then at the same time you're saying whoa here's the patriarch what a wonderful patriarch he was the leader of his family i think we still invest a lot of like loving that idea of the patriarch and someone who is very like you know he is the boss he is the leader 
years, whatever, you know, awful things yes. there are. I think it's, you know, we do like, and yeah, people maybe aren't able to articulate that necessarily, but I think, well, yeah, there's, you know, I'm, I'm not even for a second trying to compare Tony Soprano with Prince Philip. They are incomparable. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I know it's what you interesting mean, that the way that, yeah, uh, he is, he is so representative of toxic masculinity in so many ways, but also he is someone that people, they, He's a comfortable figure that people do love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting, the thing about um, power, a lot of the narrative that's coming around now about Philip is how secretly instrumental he was to so much that happened. So even you yeah. know, posthumously, it's like we have to... I mean, I mean, part of it is about acknowledging the death of somebody who is, um, you know, a public figure, an important public figure. Yeah. And I get that. I get that people need to to do all that stuff, and it's part of the maybe part of the grieving cycle. But that it's just interesting about that male stuff. About well, no, he was really pulling the strings, guys. Like he really was yeah. so instrumental, and he was really very, was very modern, and he he really brought the Queen into you know the new age. And I'm not saying he didn't. I'm not saying he didn't. But it's just it's really being pushed at the minute in terms of the um, the narrative around him. And I suppose in 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 the way of like the the way where you can relate this to Tony, the way you can relate this to pretty much any other you know, really powerful sort of male character is, um, you know, where where the status is, where the power lies, where, you know, who's who's granted credibility for, for the ideas yeah. and for the arc of the character. And yeah. the thing that is really interesting, I suppose, in, in Tony's arc, because we're kind of made to feel that he's he's a self-made man, but then we actually get to glimpse behind. Actually, no, he's 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 crafted by his relationships and by his experiences, just like anybody else is. So I think yeah. it dismantles a bit of the self-made man bullshit, really. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, yeah, exactly. And also, like, you know, I can completely agree. You know, that it's, it's it's definitely like uh, situational because. Um, Oh, what's he called? Is it Junior? Like the older guy, his, his uncle, Uncle Junior. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the person who technically should be the the, the the head of the family. And it, it like he does become kind of symbolic, but ultimately Tony gets it. And that he never lets that down. He never like uh, stops uh, being angry about that. That actually yes. Tony was kind of, he was skipped in order to have Tony be the uh, boss. So if it's exactly what you're saying, it's very kind of to do with circumstances. Um, and, you know, yeah, I, it, I can't remember the exact specifics about why um, Junior was kind of skipped in the end or became a symbolic boss. But yeah, it could have been, it could have been another way. Um, and he's, it's not like I, he was always just destined to do that. Yeah. Yes, you know, kind of thrust, and that responsibility of being like this power has now been thrust on me, and like I've got to do what I can with it. But like that's what needs to so much of the stress and anxiety and panic. It's like he is doing so much, and I think that's another thing that you see about like you know it's not easy being a mob boss. I'm not saying oh poor old Tony, but like it's a fucking hard job that you're dealing with people's lives and deaths all the time. It's it. It absolutely destroys you and you can yes. see that from the beginning the first episode yeah yeah it's yeah. like there, the, yeah. you know there is a tax to pay there is a tax yeah yeah I, yeah absolutely it's yeah, like no, seeing it's a- the um 
I guess it's another reason we both love the show. It's like seeing the blood and guts. So it's it's a different type of violence um, and it's showing the tax and the toll that is paid, really. So instead of it being like a Kill Bill kind of really stylized escapist kind of violence, it's a blood and guts kind of violence, more like the Saving Private Ryan sort of violence, yes. which, um, you know, is, is more real in terms of really seeing... Yes. The, the the goriness, the disgustingness of it, the yeah. you know the brutality of it, it's not yeah. escapist type violence in this. No, is no, no, no. And it's like it's always that contrast. It's very kind of you know, it's characters talking, and then bam, interspersed with incredibly uh, brutal violence. Someone being killed in a horrible way, and then like oh, just, you know let's go and get a cup of coffee or something. It's, yes. it's very, yes. yeah, it doesn't, well, it's punches and it's not like, it's not romanticised violence in any way. It's it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. Think if it, anything, and we get to, yeah. yeah, we get to see behind the romanticised stuff and see how ridiculous it actually becomes, don't we? Like you would yeah. say, comedy with the him nudging Tony being like, try this food, this romanticised yeah. <laughs> and how buffoonish yeah. they all look. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It, it made me laugh so much because again, Paulie Walnuts is so, is the, the archetypal, just psychopathic killer. He is vile. He is absolutely vile in so many ways. But also, he's bloody hilarious. And it's like, shouldn't we be laughing this man? This man is a psychopathic serial killer. But, like, you're also... He is also hilarious. And you never know how to feel about the characters. And that is the sign of a great series, that you do not... You don't have, like, yeah, he's good, he's bad, he's great, he's scary. Yeah, it's... uh, yeah, that's it, isn't it? The complexity is in it, each and every one, the yeah. light and shade. Yes. Any topics that we didn't dive into that you really wanted to? It was only a brief thing about mm-hmm. um, how the, the class thing with the uh, Italian American identity, I think you could, I see a lot of it in kind of in the UK at the moment in terms of Brexit and what it means to be British. We have kind of progressive people who like the idea of Britishness. It's very global. It's very like liberal, equal rights and rights-based language, all this kind of stuff. And then you've got people on the right who it's much more nationalistic. It's much more that romanticised past that doesn't exist anymore, like or never did exist. And it's like you're looking down like that. Their argument is anyone who like is on the left is just looking down at poor uh right-wing people and patronizing them and condescending them and saying they don't understand what they're voting for and i think it's yeah it's a uh, more a, a very good current way to look at the uh stone themes in the sopranos is to see related to the, what's going on in uk and in many cultures with a whole kind of nationalism versus cosmopolitanism and kind of universalism it's yes. you know people yeah i think it's definitely a scope for analysis Mm-hmm. It really, really is. And in terms of the the nationalist kind of, I mean, I know it's really, you know, it's a really basic thing to say, but the kind of pulling up the drawbridge and the fear related stuff and the where is ours, it's such yeah. a scarcity model, isn't it? But I do think it's a system and and a largely like a self probably a self perpetuating system with you know some key players rolling the ball down the hill to make sure it keeps going that way. But it, I do you know. But you're right. It's not just one individual. It is the entire structure in our society that perpetuates that inequality. Yeah. Someone said on this subject. Someone said the other day. You know, it's like uh, 
the, uh, loving the royal family is like Stockholm syndrome. It's like they they literally yes. are yeah. keeping you under control. And what's more, you don't only not have an issue with it; you love them for it. Like, and I think, um, but like relating it to Sopranos, you see, I and mean, it's not something we've touched on, but like the right racism and homophobia within the Italian American community, or certain parts of the Italian American community. You know, you look when Meadow. Hat brings home a mixed race boyfriend. He is Tony is vile towards him. That whole idea of like you know we we are from this country. We came to this country. We made something of ourselves. That's part of their identity. You know it's they it's unsurprising because there's racism in many ethnic minority communities as well. But like you see you see that so like apparently she's just disgusted by it (laughs) and she is very much we haven't talked about his children at all but like Meadow is very much the educated like you know antithesis of the fam the the way that Tony would have like liked his children to be brought up she's very very critical and forward thinking but also does benefit massively from it really is living in the contradiction isn't it and it yeah. is, it's another thing that's fascinating and also relatable because who isn't living in that contradiction of benefiting from a system that we're also critiquing? Yeah. Like, who isn't? Yes. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. It just really shows that this programme contains multitudes and it's not a, just a mafia series about people killing each other. It's like, it's multi-layered and like worthy of, a lot of analysis. No, I've really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Marky Mark. Yeah, no worries. It was a pleasure. I'm like, it's nice to be able to contribute to this, and it's a great thing we're doing. And hopefully, people, if they if they made this the stupid error of listening to this before they watched the Sopranos, <laughs> well, at least they've now got a lot to go on. We are live, we are up and running, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Reflections, with me, Rachel Close.